Welcome to the Journey Podcast. I am excited to share stories with you of real ordinary women who are walking through this life hand in hand with an extraordinary God. No one has written a book about their life. There may not be anything enormous about their life, but God is present in the everyday. My hope is that their stories will be an encouragement to you, that our God sees you, He hears you, He knows what you need, and He loves to answer those prayers. He is faithful to the promises that He has made, and He is trustworthy in the plan that He has for you. So come along with us as we hear stories from around the world of how our extraordinary God has walked through life with ordinary people. And my hope is that you will embrace the power of your story too. Welcome back to the Journey Podcast. My name is Carrie. I am honored that you would spend a few minutes with me, and I am excited to share the next piece of our story with you. We left off our story in 2010. We have just moved from Knoxville, Tennessee to Saraland slash Mobile, Alabama, to what we affectionately call the Little House. And if you will recall, when we lived in Tennessee, we made a um, decision not to have any more babies until we were in a more financially stable position. Now, from the time that Nathan and I started dating in high school, the only thing that I wanted out of life, I wanted to be a mama and I wanted to stay home with my babies. And he made a lot of life decisions in order to make that happen for me. And so we wanted a big family. There were days that Nathan would joke that he wanted a whole basketball team. He wanted five kids. And I was like, you know what, let's just take them one at a time. And and one day I remember when we were pregnant with our first daughter and we were going in for our first ultrasound, he got himself so excited and he said, oh, oh, what if it's twins? Wouldn't that be amazing if it was twins? What, 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 what if it's triplets? Oh, wow. That would be awesome if it was triplets. And I remember thinking, whoa, Nellie, like simmer down. Let's just have the one at a time. Please don't let it be triplets. But all that to say, we always wanted a big family. That was just a dream that we had. And so at the time we had Anna, she was two years old when we moved back to uh, to Alabama. She turned two in August. And I remember clearly the day that I walked into the kitchen. It was right after Halloween. And we had a bowl on top of the microwave of our Halloween candy. And I was going for a piece of candy. And I pulled the bowl down and I looked at it and I remember thinking, oh, nothing looks good. And then I remember thinking, what's wrong with me? This is Halloween candy. But none of it looked appealing at all. And And so I just put it back and I didn't think about it. But a few days later, I took a pregnancy test and sure enough, baby number two was on the way. And we were over the moon. We were so excited about this baby. And Anna was excited about this baby and she would talk to him and we would dream about what it would be like to have another baby in the house. And oh, it was just a sweet, sweet, sweet season. So once the pregnancy got started, I had the most issues I love being pregnant. Okay, you need to know that about me. I love 
everything about being pregnant. Okay, I don't I don't love the throwing up part. Like that's not awesome. But I love feeling the baby move. I love knowing that that is a human that God has trusted us with and I just love everything about being pregnant and as his pregnancy wore on, he proved to be my most difficult pregnancy of all of ours. We have four children and he was by far my most difficult. I had issues with my blood sugar where my blood sugar would just plummet. I remember one day just laying on the bathroom floor yelling for Nathan because I just couldn't get up. And that was crazy. Um, at one point, I had issues with my heart. My heart was doing this weird fluttering, racing thing. And so my doctor sent me to a cardiologist. And so for the first first half, really, of my pregnancy, I was seeing a cardiologist to kind of watch that. Um, and had issues with my blood sugar. And uh, my asthma was acting up and I was having a harder time breathing. And so just his pregnancy took the greatest toll on my body it was the most difficult. But all the while we just prayed over this child and um, I would talk to those babies and I would pray over them. And here's the prayers that I had for my babies when they were in my womb is that, Lord, God, I ask that you will give them a soft heart and a sweet spirit. God, would you help them to come to know you at an early age? Would they love you and trust you and follow you and obey you cheerfully all the days of their life? And would you give us wisdom to know how to raise them to know you and love you? And so that was nearly a daily occurrence. I would just rub my belly and just pray over this baby. And I loved being pregnant. Well, um, Anna had been a C-section. She was breech. And my blood pressure shot up through the roof. And so they took her by C-section two weeks before my due date. I didn't know nothing about nothing at that point in time. And I just said, okay, okay, to my doctor, whatever you want to do. And so I ended up with a C-section. Didn't think anything of it until now, second baby. I don't really want to have a C-section again. That was really, really difficult. We had some, some other issues with her delivery, but I didn't want to do that again. I wanted to have a baby the way that God said to have a baby and the way that God built my body to work. And so that became my prayer is that I wanted, I wanted to deliver him vaginally. And so I started researching VBAC, V-B-A-C, uh, vaginal birth after cesarean. That was my goal. I wanted to have this baby vaginally. And the more I researched it, I wanted to have this baby naturally. Like I don't, I don't want all the medicine. I want to, I want to do it the way God designed it to be done. Now, maybe I'm just like stupid and young and naive, but that's, that's what I was going for. That became my prayer. And the more I got to talking with the moms and my mops group, another gift from the mops group is this relationship with these other women. And, and I was telling her about my doctor and well, I had to change hospitals from my previous doctor with Anna because that hospital didn't do VBACs period. That's just a hard and fast rule. They don't do VBACs. So I had to change doctors and I changed to a different hospital. And that was one of the very first things I said to her on the very first appointment is I want to have a VBAC. And she said, okay, we can do that. There's some things in that we can do in place to monitor the, you know, the progress and all those things. And we'll do what we can do, but you're going to have to do it my way if you want to get the VBAC. And I said, okay, fine. So I start researching this more and learning more and talking to another uh, mom and some of the uh, requirements that this doctor had was no laboring at home. You will come to the hospital immediately when you have your first contractions. Okay. You will get an epidural 
and we will do an internal fetal monitor, meaning that they were going to put a monitor up into uh, my womb before he was born and attach a monitor to his skull, and they were going to monitor him while I was in labor. And these are all the conditions that they were putting on this VBAC. And one of my sweet friends at Mops, she said, Carrie, she's setting you up for a C-section. I can just tell you, those are a lot of red flags there, and she's setting you up for a C-section. So I was 29 weeks, and I went in to have this conversation with her, and let's talk about this VBAC again. And she looked at me like she had no idea what I was talking about. This was news to her. And it came out that she's never actually done a VBAC. She's never delivered a baby via VBAC. She has um, been present when another doctor did that, but she had not done that. And that was, that's all I needed to know. I was like, you know what? I don't think this is the right doctor for us. And so I panicked. I'm 29 weeks pregnant and, and now I have like zero confidence in my doctor. And so we prayed and we prayed and we prayed over it. And the Lord led us to um, a midwife. And so I met with her and she was a believer and she, um, I'm, I knew some other moms who had used her and they would tell stories about how she would pray over them when they were in labor and she would read scripture over them. And I'm thinking, oh yes, this is what I want. This is what I want. And so I started uh, seeing this midwife and she was great. And I told her I wanted to be back and I wanted to do it naturally. And she was like, oh yeah, no problem. We can do that. That's, that's not a big deal. We can handle that. And I was so excited. And so we, we continue on in this process and we get to be about six weeks out from, um, from due date. And she was feeling on my belly and measuring and she said, hmm, I think he's breech. And then she left the room for something. She left me alone there for a few minutes and I just, I started crying knowing that Anna had been breech and that resulted in a C-section. And she came back in and she saw me crying and she said, Okay, well, here's what we can do. Let's go do an ultrasound and let's confirm what position he's in. And she said, remember, babies turn up until the very end, right? So just because he's breached right now doesn't mean he's going to stay breached. Most babies, almost all babies are going to flip until at some point before it's time for them to be born. So that gave me some hope. But I did go and have the ultrasound done that day. And sure enough, he was breached. And... um. So we started doing everything within my power to get that baby to turn around. And I went to see a chiropractor who was across the bay. So that was like an hour drive. I saw the chiropractor two or three times a week who specialized in this, in turning babies and treating patients to encourage their babies to turn. And so I saw her numerous times. I made that drive many times. I spent hours upon hours in the pool. We built, we bought a, um, a blow up baby pool, like a, I don't know, it was maybe two, two feet tall baby pool and put it on the back patio. And I spent hours in that baby pool trying to get that baby to flip around. I stood on my head. I mean, literally like handstands for, I don't know, however long it was. I did that all the time trying to get him to turn around. I did everything. We had people in our church praying over us, laying hands on me, laying hands on the baby to to flip this baby around. And he wasn't moving. He wasn't going. And I still prayed. Big old faith here. God, this is what I want. I want to deliver this baby naturally. I want this baby to be born 
HIV back. And there is nothing in my power that is making this happen. You have to do this for me. You have to do this for me because I can't make this happen. But this is what I want so badly. And we, oh, oh we read a book. We read this really great book. It's called um, Supernatural Childbirth. And the whole idea about is about um, empowering yourself with knowledge about the birth process does amazing things to remove the fear of the unknown of what's happening and induce in doing so reduces your pain level drastically. So we read through this. I had written out tons of scriptures. We bought little speakers and worship music that we're going to play during labor. And like we had this whole plan. This was going to be amazing. And we get close to my due date and he still has not turned. And my midwife, she said, all right, I'm going to let you go as long as you want to go. Traditional OBGYNs would have done a C-section by this point. But she says, your body is going to do what it needs to do. And if you need to go longer than your due date, then that's what you're going to do. And maybe he'll flip right at the last minute. But only 3% of babies don't flip. So the odds are in your favor that he's going to turn even if it's at the last minute. I had people sending me stories of these incredible like last minute breach baby flips and like just so much encouragement, so much hope. That he was, it was going to happen. It's going to happen. God was going to grant me this request. He's going to flip. He's going to do it. Well, I was a week over my due date and I went into labor in the middle of the night. And coincidentally, it's the only baby that I got to labor with. Um, interestingly enough, I loved it. I loved that whole process of we had read so much and studied so much about the birth process that um, we were clear on what to expect and what was happening. And it was amazing. And uh, after a couple hours at home, we decided um, it was time and the contractions were consistent. We decided it was time to call the midwife. It was the middle of the night. And she asked me, she said, Carrie, did he flip? And I said, no, he hasn't turned. And I'll never forget the compassion in her voice. She said, Carrie, I am so sorry. And I knew what that meant. There was one option of trying to turn the baby, like where you, the doctor forces the baby to turn and to move. But because I had already had a C-section and I had a, a scar on my uterus, that was incredibly risky. And so they didn't try to do that. But she said, Carrie, I'm so sorry. And I knew that that meant that I was going to have to have another C-section. So we go to the hospital in the middle of the night and she meets us there. So a midwife can't perform a C-section, but she chose to show up anyway. And she was there and she spoke for me and um, she helped me through the process. And and I I remember she was in the OR with us and they had my arms pinned out to the side. And this was a teaching hospital where she was. And so they brought in all these students to watch and they were like, I don't know, I remember like four or five along the back wall. And my this cover over my bottom half of my body kept sliding off and exposing my neck itself. And she was so concerned about that little drape. And so she'd pick it up and she'd put it back over me. And she just worked real hard to keep me covered and keep me modest. And I just thought that was so sweet and so kind. And um, we actually had a student perform the C-section, you know, under the guidance of a doctor. But... Um, so Nathan was there. He was at my head during the procedure, and, and our midwife was, was also in the room off to the side. And and they pulled uh, Jackson up from his hips, pulled him up 
upside down. So his head was hanging down because the way he was, he was in my womb. And, and I looked at Nathan and I asked him, I said, was his cord wrapped around his neck? And Nathan looked at me and he said, yeah. And I lost it. Just tears pouring down my face. And the doctor got mad at Nathan. Don't tell her that she's going to upset her. Don't say that to her. And my midwife jumped in and, and spoke for us. She says, no, no, no. These are not fearful tears. These are tears of joy. Had we forced Jackson to turn, the cord was around his neck at least two, maybe three, I don't remember, times. Had we forced him to turn and had a vaginal delivery, it very easily could have killed him. And in that moment, I so clearly heard the Lord say, Carrie, I see you and I hear you. I know what you're asking, but please trust me. I can see farther than you can see. I know how badly you want this, but please trust me that my way is best. Friends, I wanted that V-back so, so bad. And I had to grieve the fact that I didn't get it. And I had to learn to trust my good father. That when he says no, it's okay. And he is trustworthy. And he is good. Because the midwife was in the room with us, and I had now had two breech babies, which was very unusual, she asked the doctor to inspect my uterus and determine, did I have a bicornuate uterus? I had no idea what that meant, but the doctor did what she asked and sure enough confirmed, indeed, I do have a bicornuate uterus. And now what that means is when I was forming in my mother's womb, the uterus, it, all the organs really, they start kind of in the middle and then they bloom out symmetrically. Well, the uterus is supposed to bloom all the way out into like a pear shape. Well, mine didn't go all the way out <laughs> and it formed into a heart shape. And so there was two lobes on either side. And so what had happened to my children was that they grew in the womb into one side of that heart and they weren't able to turn around because of the shape of my uterus. And so I remember laying on that table and the doctor is like showing all these med students my uterus, like on this platter and they're coming close and they're looking around and they're pointing and they're ooing and aahing. And it was very bizarre, very bizarre. And I remember Nathan saying like, you're going to put that back, right? Like, we're going to need that again. So can we have that back? It was really strange being like a textbook, using my body as a textbook, but Anyway, I hope they learned something amazing. I hope that God used it in a cool way. I don't know. But anyway, so we learned at that point that I had a bicornuate uterus. Jackson uh, nurses well. He grows well. He's little bitty tiny. He was my tiniest baby. He was barely six pounds when he was born, and he quickly dropped down to five something. He was tiny, but he was so precious. And he was cold when he was first born, and so he spent some time in the in the nursery area under the heat lamps, whatever, and Anyway, oh, <laughs> just a fun story, too, about Jackson is, you know, Daddy was wonderful about changing diapers, especially the first few days. He changed all the diapers. Well, um, one day I went to change Jackson's diaper, 
And I noticed that he had a little uh, butterfly bandaid on his butt. And I looked at my husband and I said, why does my child have a bandaid on his butt? (laughs) And it turns out they hadn't told me, obviously, I would be upset um, that the student who did the C-section, the way he was laying, he was laying like butt up because he was breech. And when she cut into my uterus, she actually sliced his butt cheek with the scalpel. And so no worries, they got him all fixed up. But I remember being furious. I mean, talk about mama bear. I was furious. Somebody cut my baby before he ever left my womb. I mean, anyway, I can look back now and see that there are a lot of challenges over Jackson's pregnancy, over his delivery. But the Lord has had his hand on Jackson's life from the very, very beginning. And as he grew up, God has shown us more and more about uh, about who Jackson is and who God created him to be. And I'm excited to share those pieces with you, too. But we later went home from the hospital and I it took me weeks to work up the courage to research this whole bicornuate uterus thing. And I learned that bicornuate uterus pregnancies often have difficulties. If you're able to conceive at all, a lot of babies die late-term pregnancy, upwards of 40%, because they run out of room in the womb. By the grace of God, I have carried four children to full term without any problems. Statistically, we should have lost at least one of them, if not more. And I'm so grateful that I didn't know that when I was a brand new mama with our first baby and our second baby. Because I would have been terrified. I would have been worried all the time. But because I saw God's hand so clearly on Jackson's pregnancy and Jackson's delivery. The next time we got pregnant, I wasn't worried about it. I knew that he is the giver of life. My children mark the third generation of babies that were never supposed to be. My grandmother was told that she could never have babies. Her story is incredible. It's documented here on the podcast. Her name is Anita. My mother was told she could never have babies, and yet here I am. And now I have this funky uterus that statistically should have killed a few of my babies, and it didn't. And so what we've learned from that is that God is the giver of life. And doctors can say what they want to say, and they can say what they see, but God is the giver of life. So that's Jackson's story. That's how he came into the world. He was our second born. He is our first boy, and he is all boy. He is full of adventure. He loves a good challenge. He loves to explore, and he is an amazing kid. And you know what? God has answered our prayers in and giving him a sweet spirit and a soft spirit and a soft heart. And he is receptive to the Lord. He's a question asker. He's a deep thinker. And um, it's amazing to watch him grow and become the man that God has designed him to be. And we are so grateful to be his mom and dad. So thanks for joining me to hear this piece of our story and God's faithfulness and God's goodness. I hope it brings encouragement to you that God can be trusted in all things even the things that we don't have control over and things that we don't understand and things that we don't like. 
He is still good. If you were encouraged by today's story or anything else you heard here on the podcast, I would be honored for you to share it with your friends. Thank you for joining me today on the Journey Podcast. We are just ordinary women who have encountered an extraordinary God. And remember, your story has great power too. I'll see you next time.